the hottest works in the YouTube game. I know you do. It's that Bonnie Hill of D. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. Today's briefing will be an uncomfortable one because it deals with a problem that we've allowed to fester for generations now, a bad habit that a lot of black people have picked up and refused to let go. Many of you listening to me have been part of the problem in this regard. You know who you are. Well, you can't fix a problem unless you're willing to face it. And today, we're going to face it. We often throw around the term generational wealth. The most common way of passing wealth from one generation to another, however, is land ownership, especially if there's a house on top of it. As black people, we've been robbed of our land for generations, centuries now, through a number of immoral and often illegal maneuvers, where the laws are written specifically to make it easier to take land from us. County tax assessors make it a point to target black areas so that the moment a white developer or business puts anything up near us, they raise county taxes through the roof, far in excess of what they would in a white area. It establishes the practice that if a black person moves into a predominantly white area, well, the county suddenly decides that the surrounding property is all worth zero now. But on the other hand, if a white person moves into a predominantly black area, suddenly the county decides that all of that surrounding land is now worth a fortune. That situation is bad enough, but there are things we as black people continue to do that hurts our own selves, and worse, our children. When it comes to land, black people more often than not don't even try to make out a will or some other legal documentation that establishes a clear line of possession. It may be obvious who owns the land right now, but upon their death, it's going to be up for grabs. Not to mention there's a bunch of legal mechanisms that developers or shady individuals in government can use to lay claim to our land if they catch us slipping, which, let's be honest, happens a lot more often than it should. Especially to a people who have been through this so many times now, we have no excuse for not knowing better. I'll bet any amount of money that we've all got at least one horror story about somebody in our immediate or distant family, some familial legend or other about your grandmother, uncle, mother, whomever, who had willed property to some relative or another, and because, of course, there was no will, either it was claimed by the state, or some real estate company swiped it out from under the family, or some unscrupulous relative laid claim to it, the possibilities are endless. But none of those possibilities are good. Why do we keep repeating the same history? Because we keep doing the same things, and that is not okay. Too many black people rely on so-called heirs' property and other so-called rights. And that legislation, more often than not, doesn't actually work. Oh, I know, Joe Biden's been talking some loose talk about having some sort of federal standard for that kind of thing. But folks, how reassured do you actually feel placing your fate and that of your children's inheritance in the hands of Jim Crow Joe? I'm not relying on him or resting on him. As black people, we're supposed to know better. The only times that we have ever gotten what we are due is when we've relied on ourselves and taken things into our own hands. Our problem is that most of the time, relying on ourselves is the measure of last resort. We've been trying to rely on that whole heir's property thing and it don't work. You've probably heard the saying that possession is nine-tenths of the law. That's true. But the problem is it depends on who can establish possession. The laws are written to make it where any developer or unscrupulous individual can try to find a way to lay claim to land that doesn't have a clear line of title. Too many of us are simply determined to be lazy or to do dusty business, and we gotta call it what it is. 
It's not that we don't have the money to get the proper documentation or that we simply lack the time. It's that too many of us are careless about things relating to the next generation. If you own property, either you're doing business or you're not. And too many black people aren't. Now, this next example is probably going to be a little bit touchy for some folks, but again, this is a tough subject. I don't want to seem like I'm speaking ill of the dead because I'm not, but I'm trying to let you know how out of hand this determination to not handle business for each generation to the next has become. Chadwick Boseman died without a will. He had been fighting a years-long battle with cancer. He knew that he had cancer. And in the last six months of his life, he knew his health was going downhill. So why didn't he write a will? His wife is having to go through probate court to try to claim his property now. Probate courts are prohibitively expensive and time-consuming, and they also require that all debts and final expenses be satisfied first, as well as court costs. This can wipe out the value of an estate depending on what size it is. You see, when you got these black folks who try to hide behind excuses and lies about, well, such and such child will be able to claim it from the state or what have you, the first question ought to be, how many times have you died and left an inheritance to your children? Now, if you've got experience dying and leaving inheritances to your children or to some of the relative or what have you, then you can talk. But if you've never done it before, then how the hell do you know? Too many black people are leaving things up to chance when it comes to making sure that the property stays in the family. If you truly want to ensure that there's generational wealth, then you don't assume that some vague statute about heirs' rights will be sufficient. Because in our experience, it's not. Black grandparents and parents buy land and then it winds up being lost because the people who are supposed to be administering the land didn't want to do a little paperwork. And there's real estate vultures who watch to see when certain property comes available, especially in our neighborhoods. Now, if you live in the hood, that probably won't be much of an issue. Most black people in the inner city don't own much land. The real estate that we get robbed of is usually outside the inner city. The kind of real estate where developers like to build resorts or exclusive subdivisions. It's one thing to have land taken from us. It's another entirely to decide that at this late date, we're still not going to do much right. It's hard enough for black people to get property, harder still to hold on to it. So why would any black person intentionally neglect to do one of the things that's the most straightforward and least expensive to hold on to what you got? Get a will. Make sure that there's some sort of documentation that makes it crystal clear who the property is supposed to go to. It's not carelessness that causes this. It's contempt. No sane black person can say that they don't know what it means to their heirs or to their family members or what have you to be able to keep property in the family. They refuse to do it because they don't care about their family. This is the reality. We have enough forces of anti-black racism fighting against us without putting these self-inflicted wounds on ourselves. Actually, they're putting the wounds on our children. It's bad enough when Pookie and Ray Ray cause problems. They don't own anything. But black people who have managed to acquire some property or generational wealth have no excuse for not doing the basics. When it comes time to buy land or to make our bank accounts and business entities, we do it because we have no other choice. We jump through all the hoops. Yeah, we'll complain a little bit, but we still do it. And we're determined to get it done too. Why? Because that benefits us personally. And that's why we do it. So even generational wealth gets reduced to nothing more than a vanity project. It's not about legacy for too many of us. That word doesn't hold much importance. 
Because when it comes to the single most important aspect of building a business or acquiring property, handing it off to the next generation so that they don't have to start from zero, all of a sudden black folks start making excuses. It's too much to ask. We don't have the time. Paperwork? What's that? And please miss me with the nonsense about, well, it's these courts you see. The problem isn't that we don't trust the courts on this issue. That's a lie. Because when it came time to make out the deed for the land, black people didn't have a problem trusting the courts. Whenever we get married, or we're having a degree that we're pursuing, or we want some sort of business license, we don't say, well, I don't trust the courts. When there's something we want, we are laser focused. We'll spend months and even years pursuing something. When we want it. It's only when it gets to the point of clearly defining how our possessions are to be distributed upon our debts that black people suddenly start making excuses and telling fairy tales. The part that we don't want to have to say is that this issue involves two things that too many black people don't want to think about, death and their children. This is part of the reason that white supremacy has been able to hold us in check. Black people have not figured out what's worth dying for. And when it comes to children, we're pretty ambivalent on that too. Now, you can be mad that I said it, but you know I'm right. We see a business as just a means to get material items so that we can style and profile. A business facilitates our ability to get attention or to aggrandize ourselves. Too many of us are terminally selfish, and I'm sorry to say it's been going on long before the black baby boomers, but at least those earlier generations actually were telling the truth when they said that they weren't trusting the government after all, who was empowering the marauding gangs of white supremacists to burn down those black townships. See, when those early generations from 100 years ago said they didn't trust the courts, that was because the town constable was the one who led the gang of white supremacist marauders who burned down the black Wall Streets. And the local judge was the one who declared that none of those terrorists had committed a crime. We broke the power of the white mobs. We have not yet taken our power back because we refuse to take, or rather retake, responsibility for ensuring our legacy. Earlier generations did it. Why do we choose to drop the ball? It pains me to say that Generation X, and now it seems millennials, are also starting to take on this mindset of terminal carelessness. We're trapped in a vicious cycle, but it's one that we're refusing to break. We want to goof off. We want to focus on other things. This is not an inability. This is a refusal. Because as we all know, when black people make it our singular goal to put legacy planning at the top of our group agenda, nobody can stop us. They can try, but they won't succeed. So why do we even refuse to do the most basic of things to hold on to our generational wealth? What's holding us back? First of all, we have this dogged refusal to accept that we're going to die someday. A refusal to accept this reality that at some point the party will be over. So we think that as long as we don't think about it, as long as we don't contemplate it, as long as we refuse to do anything to prepare for it, in our imaginations, we're somehow keeping the Grim Reaper at bay. Because, well, we'll do it when the time is right. And we've seen for so many generations now, the time is never right. And we just refuse to think about this our entire lives until we die without ever having done it. When a person has nothing that they think is important enough for them to die for, then that begs the question, what are they living for? But that brings us to the second problem, and this is even bigger than the first. We have an epidemic of terminal selfishness directed at our own children. Too many of us have contempt for our kids, and that's rooted in self-hate. Too many black parents are resentful of their own black children, and they don't even know why. Or rather, they know why, but they're scared to have to say it. 
A lot of us are desperate to feel like we've got power over something or over someone. And that's because we have so little power over our own lives. We're determined to control something or someone else, and that usually means the children. Too many black parents want to feel like they're denying someone something because they've been denied a number of things their entire lives and they didn't have anyone to do anything about it. They want to feel like they have power. White society has far more wealth than us, so the comparatively meager holdings that a black person has won't impress them. To them, that's pocket change. But in black circles, it actually means something. Most black people feel impotent in the face of the racism we have to endure. And since we can't exercise any power over the racists who control the society, most black people, it seems, have instead retreated into some imaginary world, and they're trying to opt to turn their contempt toward people who they think they can control, or at least people who can't punish them for it. Black parents, it seems, are so starved to feel like they matter, so they want to hide behind delusions of persecution from their own children. They want what I have, they claim, even if they don't have much. Never mind that many of them have property that was given to them by their parents or by some sibling or other, someone who actually bothered to do it the right way. We've all seen this or dealt with it ourselves. Someone who refuses to talk about the transfer of generational wealth of their children or family members. And if someone brings up the subject, they refuse to even discuss it. And it's obvious what they want is for someone to beg them for something or to grovel to them. Not that that would actually get them to do anything, but would certainly make it where they would feel, well, I guess I can at least talk about it. Not that anything's going to be done about it. White society considers it a sin for property to leave their family's hands. To them, it's a sin to let the state have back the land that the government gave to them. And let's be honest, the Homestead Act and various other follow-up legislation is where most of that land ownership came from because almost none of them had that land before all those laws got passed. Laws that we were systematically and intentionally left out of. See, in other communities, they can be mad at their kids or whomever, but they make sure that when they die, somebody in the family is going to get their estate, and it's clear who it's going to be. That's why in white society, they came up with that saying, where there's a will, there's a way to break it. Because in their cases, they don't have stories about the property being lost, but they do have stories about it being misappropriated. All the times that some rich parent or grandparent died and the kids saw grandpa give his money, or rather their inheritance, to his slutty younger girlfriend, or they saw mom give all of what would have been their inheritance to some television preacher. They're the first ones to try to prove that mom was crazy or that dad's slut girlfriend got him drunk and tricked him into signing some papers. With other groups, it's clear who gets what. And the argument is about trying to change it. The argument isn't over whether or not the property is going to stay in their family. That's already settled. It's a matter of seeing if they can find a way to get a court to allow them to change it. That's a different conversation entirely from the kind we keep having. This is not some pitch, by the way, to try to get you to go to some estate planning buddy of mine. I don't have any. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not recommending anyone's services to you. We're all adults here, so it's up to each person to go ahead and do the legwork on that one for themselves. I'm saying that there's a reason why these other communities, everybody who's not black, talks about this issue so often. These other groups understand that it's inevitable that they're going to die, and rather than put their heads in the sand and pretend like death only happens to other people, they get realistic and actually take action to ensure their legacy as early as possible. After they do that, then they go back to goofing off. But they believe in taking care of business first.
and they believe in handling business like business. When I was in school, I remember a white classmate whose father died unexpectedly, and at an early age, I think he was in his early 40s, and this classmate, he was in his late teens. His father left him an insurance policy in the six figures. As a result, this guy was able to buy himself a used SUV, and he put a down payment on a house with it. How many black children can say the same thing? If their parent were to suddenly die on them, how many of them would get anything? Again, it's not that black people can't. It's that we've decided we don't want to, and we're desperately looking for moral-sounding excuses that we can hide behind. I know this is not the kind of message that you're used to hearing from me. When it comes to getting this generational wealth problem solved, our first priority must be controlling the controllables. The cash you accumulate in your bank account is not just your mad money. It's also your children's inheritance. If you own land or the house that you bought, that is your child's piece of the world. And one day it will become your grandchildren's piece of the world. That's why I got so disgusted with Ja Morant when he spent the better part of two days in a strip joint literally covering the place in money. A sea of dollar bills. He thought that stuff was fly, but it was stupid. His insecurity and foolishness is what caused that to happen. When I saw that money strewn all over the place, all I could think about was how he's a very young man with a lot of money, and he frequently takes his infant daughter to his basketball game. That money he was throwing around is her inheritance. And instead of giving it to his daughter, he thought it was a better idea to give it to some stripper instead. But John Moran's not alone. Most black people are doing the same thing. Sure, they're not blowing their money for a lap dance at some seedy club, but they're also not doing anything to make certain that their children get what they need so that they don't have to start from zero. That is the condition white supremacy fought to keep us in to make sure black people have nothing, not even the music that we create. Now to defeat this, we're gonna have to fight back hard, but right now we're not fighting at all. I've always told you that power is too important to be left up to chance. Generational wealth is generational power, and most of us are leaving it totally up to chance. Our enemies are capitalizing on that. We can blame them for attacking us, but we cannot blame anyone for the fact that we refuse to take even the slightest of preparations. Now, for a number of you, I know that this message is going to sting because it's probably talking about you, and that's good. Somebody's got to talk about this because it's a generational curse that's plaguing us, and somebody has to call it out. When it comes to protecting the generational wealth that we actually accumulate, we have cultivated a culture of carelessness, and that's got to stop. And this is how we stop it, by calling it by its name. I'm sure I'm going to see a ton of comments from people claiming that they've done this or that for their children. They'll say, hey, I had my will done X amount of years ago, and that's not me. Well, the problem is we have far too many cases of the majority of black people who have an estate, and they die, and there was never a will. So that being the case, we got a lot of people lying about this kind of thing. The enemy is taking full advantage of this, and we have to call it what it is. There was a time, not all that long ago, when we used to do right. That's why the short-lived rebirth of Bruce's Beach happened in the first place. Preparation by a past generation led to success by a future one. We've got to get back to that. It's way past time we had a serious conversation about generational wealth. Not merely getting the reparations that were owed, but also about how to do right with what we already have now. Good day and be one.
I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Latoya Holloway, Sherman Marshall, Alexandria Victor, Timothy Hall, and Stay Positive. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Latoya Dania, and she was going to Zambia in her after tour. Now, the reason why she's doing this is because the United States is worried they're losing influence on the African continent because China, um, the BRICS, you know, uh, alliance is, is getting more influence there. And because I've been to the African continent, you know, a few times, I understand why. Because the United States have never did anything for the African continent at all. All they did was, okay, you gave them aid, but you didn't. It helped them build any kind of infrastructure. You didn't help them uh, build any roads, bridges. You didn't help them do anything. You just gave it aid to corrupt politicians. And in exchange for that, you got to do what you want, push your 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 will on them. And if they stood up to you in any way, shape, form, or fashion, then you just caused the coup. And people in the African continent today see that, and that's why you're starting to see a mass rejection of the Western world, not just the United States, but the Western world, uh, all the way around, whether it's France, whether it's Germany, like any of them, they, they are rejecting them and they're embracing more uh, China and, mm. and Russia and other, you know, most of China, I would say, if anything else. Um, just because what I've seen, the Chinese are doing so many infrastructure projects over there and it's greatly needed. Like I told y'all before, when I came back to Kenya, the Chinese built a, a, a toll road over there that used to take you an hour to get from the airport to the hotel I was staying at. Now it only takes you 15 minutes. The people appreciate things like that. You know, new airports, you know, that a lot of times they build it for them over there. Some of the things that they're doing in exchange for getting the resources that they want, right? So Kamala goes over, and instead of talking about what you're going to do that's better than what China's doing, she goes over there and tries to lecture the Ghanaian people about human rights, LGBT, etc. Now you see here it's Kamala on the screen, but I want to, uh, I saw this picture, so let me point this picture out real quick. What Kamala's wearing here is very nice. Now why don't Kamala dress like that all the time? Them pantsuits is ridiculous to me. It is so ridiculous. I, I would not even want my wife walking around with a dog on pantsuit on. I, you can be in business and still wear nice dresses. You wear flowing clothes like, you know, like you can uh, wear some nice things. You don't have to walk around like that. You know, even Michelle Obama didn't walk around in pants suits. I mean, to me, it looks like a doggone man. I'm sorry, I don't care what you say. I look like a doggone man. But that's a that's a conversation for a different day because her dudes. So there's a MP um, in their parliament by the name of Sam George. Is the brother's name? And he he took the task, Kamala, and some of the things that she was saying while there, especially promoting the rainbow agenda, for sure. But let's that, play what this brother had to say. This brother definitely had a mouthful because, you know what, I told y'all, the, the old days of, of, of Africans being quiet, not saying anything, um, going along to get along, them days have come to an end because more and more Africans are speaking. I told you the... Social media has got rid of a lot of the smoke and mirrors and facade that they would push on the African continent, even relating to us. Well, let's go ahead and play what this brother had to say. Kamala Harris is entitled to her opinion, the same way you're entitled to your opinion, the same way I hold opinion that she and the American government are a bunch of cowards. 
you know, and that they have no rights to talk about human rights because they're the biggest abusers of human rights. Yes, they are. Oh, yes, and black Americans have been on the receiving end of that. Let's go, brother. Child rights are equally human rights. And yesterday, two hours after that press conference with the president, a 28-year-old gun woman walked into an American school and killed three American children and killed three American teachers. It's the right, the fundament, one of the fundamental basic rights of an human being is the right to life. The American government, in which Kamala Harris is vice president, is failing to take decisive action on gun control. And so people who should not have access to weapons are having access to assault rifles and killing innocent children and teachers in America. And the vice president of that country wants to come and teach us human rights. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. Look, look, Ghana, that's that's your next president right there. Look, that's the guy you need to elect as your next president. After after president. Uh, Kufo Otto, after his term, this is your president right here. I like this brother. This brother, tell it like it is. You need more Africans like this brother in leadership. Because this brother is, is, is just putting it out there. It, he ain't lying about anything. We know this. Every freaking week, there, there is a, a terror attack. That's call it what it is. It's terrorism. They won't call it a mass shooting. No, it's terrorism. Because the person has said Allah Akbar and did it, then they will say it's terrorism, right? So, with that being said, this brother right here is just putting it back in their face. How are you going to say something about some human rights and you can't even stop that from happening in the United States of America because your precious folks going to keep a uh, hold of their guns and they don't care what happens to everybody else? Because let's call it what it is. The only certain guns is great for, for self-defense and then some are something that belong on the battlefield. It's just completely true. What a person need with a hundred round uh, uh, draw? What do you need with that? I mean, if that's the case, don't join the U.S. Army. You want to go shoot that? I mean, the irony of it, she's a person of color. But for being vice president, what happened to George Floyd could easily have happened to her or any of the several people who have been killed in America by errant white policemen which has led to the Black Lives Matter issue. If Black Lives, if, if people have to demonstrate to let the American government know that Black Lives Matter, they need a, they need help from us. I've stated on record that myself and my colleagues are very willing to engage the American government and the US Congress to help them shape laws that will clamp down on gun violence because they really have need for it. But it's the hypocrisy. Wow. <laughs> So, so now the brothers say, look, we're willing to go over over to America and, 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 and show these folks what laws they need to put on the books to protect the American people. <laughs> but see, you're not going to see this video on the evening news in America. You're not going to see this. I told y'all, this is why I do what I do. I cover things with black folks all over the world. Because black America need to know. See, they'll tell you, and people like to run it, oh, the, the Africans, they don't say nothing about black people or black Americans. They don't do this. They don't know what's going on. Listen, we got the internet now. Everybody is learning every day. And we create uh, platforms. We put these videos out. Just look at it. You are educating even about our own stories. You know what I'm saying? They would, he would have had this knowledge, and it wouldn't be for black Americans telling our story putting it out there, okay? He wouldn't know any of this stuff related to us, but let's continue. Of the U.S., where they call homosexuality a human rights issue in Africa. But yet they are doing business with countries where 
homosexuality is frowned upon. Over a billion dollars of, 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 of nuclear where is sold to Qatar almost on a yearly basis. In Qatar, homosexuality is punished by death, not imprisonment. Why are they not checking Qatar? One of the biggest trading partners of the United States government is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is punished by death. Why are they not threatening them? Why are they not threatening Russia? Then they come to Ghana and Africa and they won't come and threaten us with LGBTQ. The American government is a bunch of hypocrites. If they really want to flex their muscle, they should go and flex their muscle on Russia, India, China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the places where they are selling weapons to. Boy, <laughs> yeah, and that's and listen, right? They all talk about we're gonna think about what we're gonna do to Uganda and that law. Why they ain't doing nothing? So he said to Saudi Arabia, all them Arab nations, that LGBT is not legal, and yet you don't hear no conferences about sanctions, you don't hear anything. And that's a and maybe somebody need to go question and say, Hey, you talking about Uganda with LGBT, but why don't you want to talk about uh Saudi Arabia? Why don't you talk about Qatar? They just had a whole world cup. Why the United States say, you know what, because of human rights of the LGBT, we're not participating in the World Cup because it's in Qatar. They went they behind right to Qatar during the World Cup because I was I was in Kenya when the World Cup was happening. And the United States was a part of the World Cup, even though they have uh, uh they have laws against LGBT. They even had a guy that, that tried to, to to mess around and he found out showing up over there with LGBT t-shirt and uh yeah, they didn't do well for him at all for doing that. He was a Muslim group. But you see, brother, they do that to y'all and they feel they can bully y'all. See, they can't they can't bully Saudi Arabia. They can't bully Qatar. They can't definitely can't bully China. They can't bully Russia. So they feel like they're gonna pick on y'all. It's like it's like the schoolyard playground. It, 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 it's, it's like, okay, I'm the bigger person. I'm gonna pick on you. I'm gonna tell you what to do. And what this brother's saying. That sentiment is just spreading all over the African continent. Like, Wait a minute, go go to go to Saudi Arabia and tell them that crap. When you start telling them that, when Kamala go to go to the the, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, you tell him uh, uh, human rights issues. Man, they get Kamala out of that country so fast for saying that crap. Please, they better not. They know not to go over there with that. There's so many human rights issues in the Middle East, but they're not addressing that. What Ghana decides to do, what Uganda. Tanzania, Zambia, any place. They do what they want to do. What's conducive for their society? It's legal in the Western world. Do you what you got to do in the Western world? Have your parades, have your uh, drag queen reading the children, do it all you want to do. But there are places in the world that people can say, you know what? I can go places where that's not conducive for the society. It's, it's not conducive for my Christianity, my is Islamic religion, my you know whatever religion that you may be. That's not something that I I want to have my kids around, and people now have a choice to go to countries yeah, like that. Because where the Western See, world is going, they open up the door for legalized countries. Telling you, they they. Cause me and my wife was discussing this last night. I remember, and I said it. If you watch my video that I made when the Supreme Court say they can get married, in that video I said, America with the help of Barack Hussein Obama, has opened up Pandora's box. I remember saying it back in 2015 or so when this happened. I said, it opened up Pandora's box. And I say it's not going to stop there. Because remember, 
It was, we just want to love each other. We just want to get married. Just like straight people want to get married. That's it. We just want to get married. Okay, fine. They, they can get married. Then it went from getting married to trans going to the same bathroom with biological women. Then it went, we went from that to going to uh, drag queens reading the children. Then went to the Sodom and Gomorrah style parades that's out here, you know, in the United States that we see going on, right? It went from just getting married to living normal like everybody else to all these other things. And now the all this now all these different genders, you you're not you're not a male or female, you're non-binary, you know, like it, it has gotten other letters have been added since it used to be LGBT. Now it's LGBTQIA plus like, all so many different things has happened now since then. Other countries have seen what's happened in the Western world. And they say, no, we don't want that here. And, it's, and because it's not work for the Western world, why do you think you're going to push that on everybody else? But, it, of course, it's, it's about controlling population. But the brothers and sisters in the continent are not playing that. They can't protect the American people. They even school, listen, they can't protect school-aged children from getting losing their life. They, don't have, they have no right to go tell somebody how to live. They can't definitely don't do nothing right for black people. That's a human rights violation every time you look up. George Floyd, human rights violation. Tyree Nichols, human rights violation. Sandra Bland, human rights violation. And Malcolm X talked about all the violations of human rights and going to the UN talking about the human rights issue too. Because what happens to us is a human rights issue. But y'all let me know what y'all, y'all, what our brother here says. Like I said, God name, Jesus, you need to elect that brother as your next president. I'm serious. That's a brother that's, that's going to lead y'all on the right path. I'll tell you that much. We need more and more Africans to take a stand, like our brother here, and, and, and call these people out. And I love that he added us in there because that's, that's, that's the, trust me, we are the Achilles heel more than even that. All you got to point to, even China did that when the first, you remember some years, a year or so ago, a year or two ago, they had a meeting with China in, I think, Alaska somewhere. And they tried to wag their finger at China talking about what they do to the Uyghur Muslims. And they say, wait a minute. Well, look what you do to black people. You say, look at what you did. Look, your police do what they do to George Floyd. Look at how you discriminate against black people. But the American media didn't want to talk about all of that. And do you know China actually put out a human rights report about the United States and it detailed all the things that happened to us? Do you know that they actually put that out a while back? See, the American media didn't want to don't cover that kind of stuff. They don't want to talk about what other countries say about because I told y'all, it's, it's the American media is a propaganda wing. They, they, they're not for telling the news and for what it is, especially news about us. And I'm not saying the Chinese are all black America's friend, but it's like this. When it comes to this situation, the truth is the truth, no matter if it comes from a person you like or don't like. So I'm glad the African continent is rejecting what they're selling. I'm glad because now they're going to have to offer them something. You can't wag your finger at them no more and tell them, you're going to do what we say, dude. No, you're going to have to compete with the Chinese and you're going to have to start building up this infrastructure over here. So the African continent is about to win all the way around. Either, either the Western world start building up infrastructure. And listen, they would build up infrastructure in this country. I can find my other receipt real quick. Okay, I'm going to let y'all watch this video. Like stuff, everyone, please. Like and share. Here we go. China blasting a move by the U.S. military boosting its presence in a hotly contested area, a new deal with the Philippines.
giving the United States forces access to bases near the South China Sea and Taiwan. National Security Correspondent Jennifer Griffin live at the Pentagon with more on this big development. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Martha. Well, the U.S. military has secured new access to four additional key bases in the Philippines on strategic islands just south of Taiwan. This expansion falls under the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement, which Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announced back in February. The announcement comes as the president of Taiwan plans to meet with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in California on Wednesday, moves likely to anger Beijing. The Philippine government announced the expansion of the U.S. presence to four additional bases, bringing the total to nine, including four military camps, that, including one that is 250 miles from Taiwan. The new sites include a Philippine Navy base in Santa Ana, and an international air base in Cagayan. Five previously announced sites include air bases in Palawan and Cebu. The U.S. and Philippine militaries held live-fire drills last week demonstrating high-mobility artillery rocket systems, or HIMARS, like the ones the U.S. has been sending to Ukraine. General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, testified that having a presence on these bases could give U.S. forces a strategic position to mount operations in the event of a conflict in Taiwan or in the South China Sea. One of the elements of deterrence is to make sure that the opponent knows that the cost exceeds the benefit. Uh, so for Taiwan, uh, my guess is we've got three or four years to get Taiwan in a position uh, where they will create got a perception that. in the minds of the Chinese uh, They said they got three or four years. They don't have that. New joint exercises with the Philippines will begin next week and will include 17,000 troops, the largest to date, double the size of a year ago. The U.S. continues to strengthen its military deployment in the region, which will inevitably lead to the aggravation of tensions and jeopardize regional peace and stability. We do not see permanent basing in the Philippines, um, and this is just one uh, additional um, aspect that will increase training between our two countries. The U.S. has allocated over $82 million toward infrastructure investments to the five existing sites in the Philippines under the agreement. The four new sites will be in addition to that. The Biden administration has been building up a network of military bases with allies in the Pacific to deter China from forcibly overtaking Taiwan. Martha? Once again, a very important strategic area in the world. Jennifer, thank you. Okay, the U.S. needs to sit down somewhere and please, oh, please, Learn to mind their own business. Oh, but they can't. Okay, that's what they absolutely cannot do. Mr. Hotel says, often irritated but never duplicated. The undisputed queen has arrived. Thank you, Mr. Hotel, for your kind words and your contribution to the channel, beloved. Peace, love, and blessings to you. Uh, Zakia says, you smell war? Well, I'm so glad you do because that's exactly what this is all about. Okay, let's get into it. Because as we know, Russia and China, have been working together, BRICS and all of them, all of these people, there's talks of Mexico joining BRICS, and all of these people are ganging up on the U.S. because people are sick and tired of the U.S. meddling in their foreign affairs, meddling all of in their business and not worrying about what's going on on their own own front, okay? But so listen to this. I'm going to share my screen so you all can see this, honey, because guess what? Jonathan D.T. Ward said China is trying to play both sides with outreach to Ukrainian counterpart. 
Yeah. Well, he can say they're trying to play both sides, but what he needs to worry about is this side. What's going to go down if China and Russia decide to pounce upon the U.S.? Uh, because clearly that's what they're getting ready to do. Now, I'm going to share my screen so you all can see this. Okay. Straight No Text with the Queen said, this is why we created our own micronation. That's right. Tell them Straight No Text with the Queen. And for those of you, these bussy reekians and the minions who love to ask the Queen what I'm doing, well, uh, myself, Tina Berry, Straight No Text with oh, the Queen, yes, and me. others, uh, we're working uh, on a micronation for our people, you see. Okay, just because we don't broadcast it all the time, we're doing things actively in the community. We are grassroots. Now, anyway, let me share my screen and shout out to Tina Berry, okay, straight no text with the queen, in the chat. Now, I want y'all to really listen to this, okay? This video is about eight minutes. I may not play the whole thing, but I want y'all to listen to this because it's about to go down. It is about to go down, people. Somebody said nobody wants to listen to a military that's teaching throwing out on us. Nice horses. Airheads have more fun. Welcome back. China and Ukraine's foreign minister speaking by phone yesterday. The conversation has signaled that Chinese President Xi Jinping could soon speak with Ukrainian President Zelensky for the first time since Russia's invasion. Right now, is the Russia as their partner uh, on that day. 
um, you know, this is a joint idea of taking down the U.S.-led order. I mean, they've been absolutely clear about that in their communications. And, um, you know, being able to work together and building a military relationship and having that underlying economic relationship in which China absolutely has the upper hand and, and their perfect deal of leverage over Russia, but they have a, a shared joint ideological enterprise. Um, you know, and Beijing is recycling Moscow's propaganda. And then they're, I think, on the same page about their idea of contesting the United States in, in both Europe and Asia. So, so that's really the, the deeper part of this matter. Uh, Beijing is not going to throw that away because they sort of need Russia um, in order to fulfill their broader geopolitical goals. Um, you know, so for those reasons, I mean, I think it remains a very robust partnership, but they've obviously put themselves in the trap of having, um, at this point, raised a lot of skepticism in Europe. Um, and, and I think people are calling into question their, their economic relations, and that's where we need to take action. And the idea that we're going to keep on building and deepening economic relations with China is, is just, um, you know, totally misguided at this point. Um, you know, not only the genocide and military buildup, but the support for Moscow in the first, um, you know, major land war in Europe in, in, in you know, seven five years. And this should be enough for us to understand that it's time to roll back um, the economic relationship. And you can start by looking at the Chinese companies that are going to be, you know, tacitly engaging with, with um, you know, Russia as the regime comes under further pressure. And that's going to be a space, I think, for sanctions. I think we should be bold about that. Well, look, let's talk about the capital markets levers because uh, unwitting investors are still owning a lot of these Russian companies and Chinese companies, by the way. Uh, over the last week, the CCP said that it is willing to allow some companies to get audited that are trading on U.S. exchanges. But you've got pretty much uh, this administration refusing to prohibit uh, Americans from holding any Russian <laughs> securities, China securities. Uh, as they are, in, in, in fact, funding the expansion of the CCP, funding this war on Ukraine. Your thoughts in terms of uh, the the levers to pull to push back on this uh, totalitarianism? Well, I, I think that there are, there are very powerful levers, um, you know, that, that the U.S. has at its disposal. I mean, investment bans can be enacted, uh, I think, relatively uh, somewhat readily, and you expand that across, uh, I think, state-owned policy banks that are, you know, enacting the major strategic enterprises of the CCP, you know, the, the general financial ecosystem that props up the military-industrial base, and that's more than the military-industrial companies themselves, um, you know, the financial uh, corporations there that, that um, you know, are allowing that to, to all sort of function um, efficiently. And then I think that the, the other issue is the sort of, um, you know, crisis that we have among our business leaders who I think just do not understand this. Um, you know, they understand history and geopolitics, I think, is, is, is really not up to this moment. And, you know, Larry Fink released his um, letter to shareholders just a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, most of us never imagined that in our lifetimes we would see a war like this waged by a nuclear superpower. It's not that hard to imagine. I mean, they've been talking about it, both yeah. Russia and China. This is a firm that is going to told people to triple their allocations to China last year. Okay. Okay, I'm not going to play all of that. It's like I told y'all, it's over eight minutes. Uh, but uh, Ismail said, knock if you buck. Well, clearly, that's what China is telling the U.S., okay? Clearly, that's what they're telling the U.S., and there's the thing. I find this also very interesting uh, that 
he was talking about trying to play both sides against the middle, you know, and uh, accusing them of being disingenuous, basically. That's what the U.S. has always been. Okay, that's what the U.S. has always been. Now, here's the thing. China is upset right now, and they sent a letter, a threatening letter to Congress. Now, because they don't like the fact that Taiwan is supposed to be meeting with the U.S., and they said it's going to be consequences and repercussions. So let's get into it. And here's the thing. All of this is going on, but for the most part, they're worried about Trump and his indictments and all of these charges that he's facing. That's of little importance to the Queen. I mean, if they send Trump to jail, they send him. If they don't, they don't. At the end of the day, <laughs> that's their problem. That's all I'm saying. That's their problem. But what we need to be thinking about is how the Chinese embassy sends a threatening letter to Congress over the Taiwan meeting. Okay? That's what we need to be concerned ourselves with. Pay attention. And so Chinese embassy wrote a threatening email to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and other members of Congress that are planning to meet with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday. Now, Tsai has already met with the U.S. Well, that was yesterday. But Tsai has already met with U.S. Senators and is scheduled to speak with McCartney this week as well, uh, echoing former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last year. Now, you all remember when Pelosi went to Taiwan last year and it was all this rough and morale, a wriggle morale, and all, they were all mad and all that stuff China was. Y'all remember that? I reported on it. Now, Lin Ziang, the embassy's liaison to Congress, wrote a nearly four-page email warning members of vague consequences. How did they not play it? And here, here's what they said. I have to point out that China will not sit idly by the face of a blatant provo uh, provocation and will most likely take necessary and resolute actions in response to this unwanted situation. That's a straight you up threat. Sit down somewhere. It's <laughs> all blown into the ocean. Okay? Are they serious right now? Where's all that smoke? Where is all that smoke that the U.S. has for everybody else? But anyway, let me continue. Uh, they go on to say that let's work together to prevent such a thing from happening. Okay? Former Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last year triggered a serious crisis in the China-U.S. relationship and lessons should be warned. That's what he said. This man is not playing any games. Okay? And then you heard what the guy just said in that, in that uh, clip that I just played. You heard what he said, right? He said, never before. Many of these people have said they have never in their lives thought that we would be facing threat from a nuclear superpower. Well, I don't know why they didn't think that with all of the BS that the United States keeps up. Now, Sai arrived in New York last week and delivered a speech to fellow Taiwanese in New York. Sai thanked the United States for its security assistance and urged Taiwanese unity. They say the safer Taiwan is, the safer the world will be. Uh, this is what she said, pledging that Taiwan would work with its democratic partners to remain on the path of democracy. Now, China sent a specific warning to McCarthy on Tuesday regarding the Paris potential meeting, alleging it would break the China, the uh, one China policy. If Speaker McCarthy ignores the international community's broad support uh, for the one China principle, uh, refuses to draw lessons from others' mistakes, and then also insists on playing the Taiwan card, 
You see, it will undoubtedly further damage China-U.S. relations and even strengthen the strong determination of the Chinese people to unite and fight for national reunification. And this is what spokesperson for China's consulate in Los Angeles said. They say the one China policy adopted by the U.S. and other countries stipulates that the government of Beijing is the sole legitimate government of China. China reacted to Pelosi's meeting with Tsai with weeks-long military drills. If you all remember, China's Navy and Air Force deployed surrounding a uh, deployed surrounding the island in an apparent <coughs> simulation of an invasion. So how these people are not playing games, okay? They are clearly not playing games. So I find all of this very troublesome and much more concerning than Trump's indictments. So I'm saying. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Another thing that we should be concerning ourselves with is this hunger games that we're going to find ourselves playing when the dollar is finally collapsed permanently. Okay. Uh, and also, let's not forget about the founder of Cash App, Bob Lee, found deceased, and they're trying to act like it was random. They're trying to act like it was just some random act. But do y'all remember something that happened a few months ago and I reported on it? Now, if you don't think, that what happened a few months ago, and what happened with Bob Lee, the founder of uh, the founder of Cash App, is connected. Y'all need to wake up. Now I'm about to play this video. Everyone, please get the lights up. Please like and share, because I want to refresh in your memory. Because see, there are some very intricate details we need to be paying attention to, and you all know that I'm very good at putting together the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. Okay, some of you have short-term memory, so you don't remember certain things. I have to bring it back to the forefront. This is what I want you to pay attention to. Let me pull this up. Everyone, please like and share. Thank you in advance. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Amadai Shakur. In recent weeks, crypto billionaires have been dropping like flies under some very mysterious circumstances. Let's get into it. On October the 28th, 29-year-old cryptocurrency pioneer Nikolai Mishigian sent out a cryptic tweet about intelligence agencies wanting to take him out. Sadly, he was found dead on the beach of Puerto Rico just hours later. This tweet stated that the CIA, Mossad, and federal elite were running some type of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and the Caribbean islands. He also said that they were going to frame him with a laptop planted by his ex-girlfriend, who was a spy, and that they would torture him to death. After that tweet, Mashikian left his $6 million beach house to go for a walk. Shortly after 9 a.m., a surfer off of Ashford Beach discovered Mashikian's body in the waves. He was fully clothed and still had his wallet. News of Mashikian's death, his last cryptic tweet, and other posts about fighting evil people who belong to a central banking cartel and use debt and blackmail as weapons <coughs> only further fueled suspicions. And just weeks after Mashikian's death, TMT and Calander the co-founder of the Hong Kong-based digital asset company, Amber Group, unexpectedly passed away in his sleep at age 30. Calander, also known as TT, was a former Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs trader who unfortunately passed just months after the group received a $3 billion valuation. Another mysterious death is that of Russian billionaire businessman, 53-year-old Vyacheslav Tehran, whose helicopter went down in Switzerland on November the 25th. This crash occurred during good weather conditions and oddly 
another passenger who was supposed to be on the flight canceled at the last minute. Pay attention. The Ukrainian news agency maintains that Tehran was a billionaire crypto businessman with likely ties to the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service. Some reports hinted that Tehran could have been part of an espionage agency and was responsible for laundering Russian funds through a system of cryptocurrency operations. <coughs> the deaths of these three men are just mere coincidences, and those of us who find it just a bit strange and think that some of the happenings are quite odd and, frankly, mysterious. Maybe we're just conspiracy theorists who are reaching and just, you know, reading too much into it. I don't know. But I do remember a time somewhere around 2015 when 60 holistic doctors turned up dead. And people that thought that was strange were also called conspiracy theorists. And then there was that one time when these four men working on a documentary about child trafficking also turned up dead within a year, in fact. People also called those of us who spoke out about it conspiracy theorists. Pay attention. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Hello. You okay? You all better pay attention. Okay? <laughs> now listen to this. Y'all don't think this is suspicious? Pay attention. The fans. That's right. Bussy Rick's best friends. Pay attention. The Fed is rewiring the U.S. payment system. And here's what that means for us. And so it can take days to transfer. Hold on. Pop-ups, beloved. Okay, it can take days to transfer money or make payments from your bank account. Even even as apps like Venmo, Cash App, and Zelle make such transactions really instant. That's because the federal government has no digital payment system for the entire banking system to utilize in real time. Oh, but that's about to change. Y'all didn't hear. And y'all think the founder of Cash Out being deleted is mere coincidence and happenstance. The Federal Reserve plans to launch its own real-time payment system. The Federal Reserve. Now, here's what's interesting. I wonder if you all caught that, what I just said. The Federal Reserve plans to launch its own real-time payment system, right? But the thing is, uh, they say that the Fed is rewiring the U.S. payments. Now, why is that important? They also said the reason we have Cash App and all of that that can make the payments instantly and the banks cannot, it takes days, <coughs> is because they claim that the federal government has no digital payment system. The federal government. But then they say in the next breath that the Federal Reserve plans to launch its own payment system in real time. Well, here's the thing. The Federal Reserve is not a government entity. Did y'all know that? The Federal Reserve has nothing to do with the federal government. It's a privately owned entity. Okay? They call it the Federal Reserve. I'm sure it's to make us think it's part of the government, but it's not. So if they're saying the federal government has no payment system for the banks to utilize in real time, and now all of a sudden they're talking about the Federal Reserve does. Well, Federal Reserve is not part of the federal government. And here's another thing. Every time or any time in history, you can do the research yourself that the Federal Reserve wanted to do something, you know, such as just take over everything and they felt like other people were being a problem for them. Well, people turned up deleted. Maybe by happenstance, but I think not. I mean, you know, the real reason why Abraham Lincoln 
turned up deceased and deleted, don't you? What about the other members of his cabinet? <laughs> okay. Uh, one of them poisoned. I'm just no, I don't know about that. I did a very interesting expose on that on Facebook years ago. But anyway, so listen to this. The Federal Reserve plans to launch its own real-time payment system called the Fed Now Service. And that's going to come out this summer. Okay? So conveniently, you mean to tell me that Bob Lee is gone all of a sudden? Now, they go on to say that through or though Fed Now is years behind tech-based private sector competitors, it will be a game changer for transactions in the U.S. It will be the first and only digital instant payment system that is both created and backed <laughs> by the government. But it's by the Federal Reserve, which is not part of the government. Just pay attention. Now, as a result, many banks will see it as a larger, safer system able to transfer money faster from customers and businesses. Let me tell y'all something else. You all may have forgotten. But just a month ago or so, I reported to you how all of these people that were banking with Bank of America's money came up mysteriously vanished. And I told you that one of my good friends, their money also came up missing thousands of dollars from Bank of America. And when they spoke to Bank of America to inquire as to why their money was missing, well, Bank of America told them, don't blame us, blame Zelle. That's what they said. Don't blame us, blame Zell. So could this be a ploy to discredit, you know, Zell, Venmo, Cash App, and the like, so that people will be more so inclined to use this? Uh, basically, you're not going to have a choice because they're going to get rid of all these other apps. I guarantee. They're likely going to get rid of all these other apps. Okay? So that you have to use that now. Eliminating the competition is all I'm saying. Pay attention. Now, those on to say uh, that though Fed now is years behind, hold on. Okay, digital instant payment system uh, that is both created and backed by the government. Okay, as a result, many banks will see it as a larger, safer system able to transfer money faster for consumers and businesses. <laughs> Fed now will enable all of the banks, any bank in the United States, not just the big ones, even the small ones to offer instantly available funds and real-time payments to their customers. And this is what Fed Chair Jerome Powell said. And speaking of this, let me tell y'all something. For those of you who have mortgages, you may want to read your mortgage agreements. Because you see, in many people's mortgage agreements, it says something about the bank cannot change currency. Okay? A guy did a video about this on TikTok, and I looked into it. So on some of these mortgages, it says the bank cannot switch currency. And so if the bank cannot switch currency, that can likely be a breach of your mortgage contract. So you need to be reading those very thoroughly for those of you who in fact have more mortgages. Because when the bank switches over completely to digital currency, they will have switched currency. That's all I'm saying. So pay attention. But anyway, those on to say, uh, that it will enable the banks to instantly transfer available funds in real time uh, for payments to all of their customers. And this is what Fed Chair Jerome Powell said before the House Financial Services Committee on March the 8th. And they're saying this is a great thing. 
Well, what is Fed now, you may ask? Well, Fed now is the first government-created system for financial institutions to receive and send funds almost instantly. Ideally, Fed now would ensure you no longer have to wait a few days, business days, uh, or abide or abide your time over holidays or even weekends to just receive your money. This means you can make payments like your mortgage, for example, ideally within seconds. You could opt to send funds on the due date rather than having to plan several days out for an online payment to clear or up to a week for a check to be processed. Uh, for business owners too, this means faster and smoother operations. I just want you to pay attention to how they're making it sound so good and tantalizing, okay? Really, it's nothing but control. They will be able to send and receive invoice payments, for instance, in real time online. Let me tell you what else they might be able to do. Now, I'm just going out on a limb here. I can't substantiate this claim that I'm about to make, but I do believe that another thing they just might be able to do is stop payments. Like if you're sending too much cash <laughs> to somewhere, like if you're trying to wire or send money to someone in thousands of dollars, perhaps, what if they just do something like what the police do with civil asset forfeiture, where they say, oh, we got to confiscate this money because we think that you may have obtained it illegally. So we're just going to put a freeze on your account for now so we can process this information and make sure that you're not up to anything that's illegal. They would likely be able to do that because remember, it's backed by the federal government, even though the Federal Reserve is not. So anyway, this is all nefarious in my opinion. They're trying to make it sound good. They're giving some good selling points. 